0: How do you turn five years of research by a team of people into a five-minute projection? I am Sally Shuttleworth, Professor of English Literature at the University of Oxford, and this was the challenge I was faced with when I received the wonderful news that the European Research Council project I run, Diseases of Modern Life, 19th century Perspectives, or simply known to us as Diseases for short, have been selected by the Oxford Research Centre for Humanities to work with the amazing projection studio to create a light and sound projection of our research. And when I say projection, you need to think big. This is not just a projection onto a room wall, but a huge spectacular display on large-scale buildings. In our case, the beautiful old 18th century Radcliffe Infirmary building in the centre of Oxford. And to add to the excitement, light artist Ross Ashton and sound artist Karen Monid, who make up the projection studio, are also world leaders in the field. These are the people who have lighted up the Houses of Parliament for the Olympics, and Buckingham Palace for the Queen's Jubilee, and done breathtakingly beautiful projections on York Minster. What would they make of our research? I'm delighted that Ross and Karen are here with me now to discuss the whole process of creating what we came to call Victorian Speed. Before we start, I should perhaps tell you a little about diseases of modern life. We think we all know what the diseases of our current life might be. Overwork, information overload, speed of communication, environmental pollution. So what were the diseases of modernity in the Victorian age? Well, worries about overwork, too much information spewing out from the new steam-powered printing presses, Speed of travel and communication brought about by the railways and the telegraph and the problems of industrial pollution creating lethal smog on the city streets. Sound familiar? Looking back from the digital age, we are tracing the ways in which our predecessors coped with the challenges of what they saw as the threatening conditions of modernity. The parallels are instructive and sometimes unnerving. So, how to sum up All this in five minutes of spectacular light and sound. Ross and Karen, I have to say, first of all, what a pleasure it was working with you both. And also, I have to say, fairly astonishing. In my naivety, I had no sense of the sheer amount of work and indeed research that is needed to create one of your projections. Did this project create
1: unusual challenges for you, do you think? I, for this particular project, what I was really interested in is that uh, rather than the sound just being the medium for transmission, you know, that the, the method that's used to get information across, it actually forms part of what the history itself is about. You don't develop a steam train without that thing making a huge amount of noise. This is mechanite. This is the development of mechanisation. So the increase of stress is not just um, uh, not just about. Uh, you know, telegraphs coming in through the door. It's also about the the creation of an urban soundscape as we now understand it. So the sounds around you are changing. So machines and the repetitive nature of machines are really starting to add to to stress levels as well. And so I I thought it was really interesting to be given a project where the sound actually forms part of the subject. Uh, in terms of how it's driving, you know, ha- how it feels. So there was a real opportunity for me with this particular project to be able to create something where people could respond with a feeling. You know, I I, I didn't feel like I needed to describe what stress is. I think we all know what stress is. But what does that actually sound like to, to somebody who has never heard, you know, a, a machine at those kind of volumes and that kind of speed and pace, you know, if it's been kind of just... I don't know, wooden ratchets before then or the sound of a cartwheel on a ro- road. That's, that's nothing like it would be for a factory. A factory just doesn't sound like that at all. Um, so it was really great to be given the opportunity to explore uh, a Victorian sound world and be able to build that and use that to drive the energy of the piece to really emphasise, as you say, the juxtaposition between the, the piece the, the relative piece I should say yes. the relative piece that preceded this period and then the and then the much more urban mechanized soundscape that grew quite quickly at that point and certainly would have had the same I suspect the same psychological effect on human beings then as excessive noise has for us now. Now I was quite frankly
0: amazed working with you both about your perfectionism. and and your determination to only use sounds and images from the period. Um, So, Carol,
1: could you talk a bit about how you tried to create the soundscape of the 19th century? Part of the problem for me is not not necessarily in discovering how things sounded, but finding either the same objects that I can then generate sounds with, or suitable replications that might come close. So it's a mix of reading a lot of text, like a lot of the mm-hmm. material that's come out of your research project, yes. in reading through the descriptions of those, there are all sorts of little clues as, mm-hmm. to what, as to what a world might have sounded like. So you're looking for things that are essentially, again, you know, I say horses, carriages, they're, mm-hmm. they're quite obvious, but those descriptions let you know that they were there. Mm-hmm. So then you keep reading and find out what else was there. And then you think, what were people talking about? And so reading, for example, about telegraph offices, you know, that people are just constantly, you know, tapping things out, um, that there's not necessarily a lot of conversation because the speed at which they're working through the messages means that there's not necessarily a a great deal of conversation between operators. So it's constant machine noise. So you read between the lines and you discover what what, what there is likely to be, and then you start building those sounds in and from an artistic perspective, then you start to kind of build a little bit of license in for the piece you're trying to create. Mm-hmm. And for me, then it gets a little bit musical. So that when, when you're working with machines, there's obviously rhythms that can then drive things. And then you can edit the voices, much like you would a choir, like arrange a range of choir piece, for example. And, you, and I use the spoken texts, much like choir parts, and then arrange those over the rhythms. Mm. So then it, it becomes driven in a very musical sense and a rhythmic sense. Um, but it's very authentic because the words being spoken are from the time and the sounds are also from the same period as much as you can. Uh, For example, the telegraph machines, I was able to get hold of some recordings of a Wheatstone uh, telegraph machine and then layer those up to create uh, a a particular sound world. And I think then that people sense that there's an authenticity in it, even though there's also a creativity in it. They feel the authenticity of it because it's different enough, I think, from what we experience today to know that there is history. here.
2: Forget six counties overhung with smoke. Forget the steam and piston stroke. Forget the spreading of the hideous town.
0: Now you can know what curative electricity is. Cure yourself by the patent electric belt we had a competition for local school children to do a design that was going to be projected onto the building and i noticed how wonderfully some of them actually took the model of the facade and managed to to create something explicitly for that space not just a blank facade yes
2: yeah, well as part of the competition uh, the planning for the competition we created a uh, a very simple map for the building i mean literally a grey outline of the building with the windows marked mm. and the door marked and we asked the children to create onto that. And some of them really used that as a template to, to create their imagery. And it looked, I thought it looked fantastic when we put it back on the building.
0: Yes, no, I was so impressed. Mm. And, I, and I think the children were delighted uh, to have your own projection in that size on the front of a building. It was quite magnificent. Uh,
2: uh, as well as that, though, I do have to take my hat off to the to the... The, the child who made the zoetrope, I thought that was oh, yes. unbelievably fantastic that somebody would actually sit down and build their own zoetrope. Of course that features yes. quite heavily in mm-hmm. the projection, the zoetrope
0: yes Yes, I should say we had another competition for, so there was a competition for the front of the building but also for any piece of creative work written or indeed artistic um, linked to Victorian speed and uh, one child did do their own creation of Victorian zooscope. Do you want to describe what a zooscope
2: oh, OK, is? so a zootrope is that, the, you, may, the, you may well have seen one, it's the, they have them in museums where you have what looks like a, a biscuit tin, it's a kind of a big circular drum, and you look through a slit in the side of this, and inside is a strip of maybe 20 images which uh, form a repetitive um, series of stills like uh, you would see in a movie and it, it kind of cycles round and cycles mm-hmm. round, and so you get this 20-frame little movie, which you can only see by looking through the slit, so that you only see one image at a time. And it's a kind of a precursor to the way that cinema cinema worked uh, when it came along a bit later. Um, but uh, we actually found some of these um, bands uh, online, and so I animated those, mm-hmm. and they became part of the part of the image, because, of course, you realise then this repetitive machine movement That's what's informing the zoetrope bands as well. There's a a letter sorting machine, which just, you see letters sliding down a a slide into a machine, which sorts them, and it makes this this repetitive movement. And fantastically, there's um, a a strip of uh, a man jumping through a hoop and jumping over a barrel. I mean, literally, Mm. jumping through hoops and over a barrel. It was a fantastic uh, finale image for, well, I enjoyed it end of the 20th century will probably see a generation
0: to whom it will not be injurious to read a dozen newspapers daily, to be constantly called to the telephone, to be thinking simultaneously of the five continents of the world, to live half their time in a railway carriage or in a flying machine, and to satisfy the demands of a circle of 10,000 acquaintances, associates and friends. What do you think you both learned from working on the projection?
2: Uh, I think this is a piece of research that uh, certainly sparked my imagination um, deeply. So I I actually went off and did quite a lot of my own reading. um, Beside uh, what you'd sent through to us, I found these uh, Victorian gazettes, these collections of Mm -hmm. newspaper reports. I read a couple of uh, Victorian dictionaries trying to get some sense of yeah, you know the way they were using words. There's, there's a couple of dictionaries of slang, uh, slang and um, yeah, argo, and um, they were quite uh, illuminating. There was all kinds of stuff in there, uh, from uh, this word cyclophobia, which is the fear of receiving too many leaflets through mm-hmm. the door. Um, so that, I found that um, in, incredibly stimulating, and um, we brought some of that back into the back into the piece. So the sections which are uh, about advertising, obviously we've gleaned that from the advertising uh, text and some of the voices from this this other work that I've looked at. So, an incredibly stimulating piece of work. And a period that we're about again where I knew virtually nothing. So, uh, for personally, it was fantastic to work on.
1: I think one one of the 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 area of research actually that I got really interested in was was the telegraph, <laughs> because for, I mean there's several things. There's a technological there's a technology aspect to that, but there's also a language aspect to that because of the development of Morse code mm-hmm. and not just Morse code, but all the other um, co- contractions of Morse code in order to get longer messages through in the shortest possible time. So f- for me, as somebody who's always been interested in different languages used in the UK, um, like o- Old English and mm-hmm. Old Norse, where that's come up that to to have essentially Morse code as a whole area of language that people that are, I think quite a section of the population became familiar with Morse code and what it was in order to be able to work and do this sort of work. And then Morse code was used in other areas as well, not just the telegraph. But the way people communicated and used that as, a, as, a, as another language through which that they could communicate um, I think that 's really I just find that really fascinating and the the and again the the human side of the telegraph as well you know the the lovely stories of people kind of meeting operators that there were that there were incidents of operators male and female operators you know talking talking to each other through the telegraph in between sending messages and yes. and romance blossoming i mean yes. not exactly not hugely common, but you know it did happen so there's there 's a whole human side that hum, that humanity is what's using this technology and humanity is using this language to communicate with each other and and relationships are developing and new relationships are developing. So, you know, things that we recognize now are still going on, you know, and the, that the internet today is the most obvious parallel to that where yes. people who have never met are communicating with each other and uh, developing relationships. So, Yeah, I think those are quite, I think they're very compelling human stories. You know, the idea of that there was this whole language that the Morse code formed, this language through which, you know, secret things could be sent or coded and other people didn't know what was going on.
0: Well, I want to thank you both. Um, It's been such a pleasure working with you. You think you've learnt quite a bit. We certainly also learnt a lot working with you. How the sound was layered was absolute revelation to me. Um, the, the, the relationship between the, the sounds and the and, and the, uh, the images, and uh, and just the questions you asked that forced us to think again. So, uh, again, I want to thank you on behalf of the team. We had uh, such a great time working with you. Yeah, we,
1: we really
2: enjoyed it. We yeah, really, absolutely. Really enjoyed it, yeah. Yes, we love this.
0: Great. We must do another one. (laughs)